Lord Jesus, you are exalted over all. Be magnified, Lord God. Thank you for your great and magnificent truths, promises that you've given us in your word. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And God, we are just pumped and excited to get into your word this morning and see what you have to say to us. Lord, we love you, praise you. We thank you for this time of worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Let there be light. Amen. Amen. Great to see your smiling faces this morning. Great to see y'all this morning in God's house. You know, I really am pumped about this message. I think it's very applicable today. We were singing that song about Christ being exalted in heaven. And in heaven, it's perfect. In heaven, it's pure, it's perfect. There's no sin, there's no darkness. It's a perfect place. But we can't say that about earth yet. We can't say that about earth. We're going to see in the Word of God this morning that you and I are living in darkness. And there is spiritual warfare that every Christian will go through. And some of you may think, man, I'm in the throes right now, and I'm getting beat up, and I'm getting thrown around spiritually, and I'm going through spiritual warfare. Well, I got a message for you. Maybe you're here this morning, and all is well. A day will come when you will experience and you will face spiritual adversity. You will experience spiritual warfare. There's two passages in the New Testament that deal with spiritual warfare. One is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's where we're at this morning. But we're also going to jump over this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Because these are two parallel passages that talk about spiritual warfare. But the day will come when the storms will rise if it hasn't already. I want to read to you. I found this this morning. I woke up this morning and I, and I read this article and I said, I got to share this with the church. Because it's from National Geographic. Recently, National Geographic ran an article about the Alaskan bull moose. The males of these species battle for dominance during the fall breeding season, literally going head-to-head -head with antlers crunching together as they collide. Often the antlers, often the antlers, their only weapon are broken. That ensures defeat. The heftiest moose with the largest and strongest antler triumphs and wins. Therefore, the battle fought in the fall is really one during the summer when the moose eats continually. The one that consumes the best diet for growing antlers and gaining weight will be the heavyweight in the fight. He will be victorious. Those that eat inadequately, inadequately sport a weaker antlers and less bulk, and they're less prepared for the battle. There's a lesson here for us. Spiritual battles await every believer in Jesus Christ. Spiritual battles await. We, we haven't got to heaven yet. We still live in a world with trials and tribulations and spiritual battles. And Satan will choose a season to attack you. Will we be victorious or will we fall? Much depends on what we do now before the war begins. The bull moose principle is this. 
Enduring faith, strength, and wisdom for trials are best developed before they're needed. What the passage is saying is, let's prepare now. And let's put on our arsenal of our weapons. Let's, let's put on now what God has given us. So we'll be ready when that day comes. And if you're in the throes now, buckle up your chin strap. Put on the weapons and use what God has given us. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians, we're only looking at six verses this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 6. And then we're also going to flip over to the parallel passage of this in Ephesians. But a question for you this morning, are you in a fight? And if you're in a fight, if you're in that fight now, if you're in the throes now, what are your weapons? What weapons are you using? Are they carnal or are they spiritual? Are, are they carnal weapons, human wisdom, human ideas, human arguments, or are they spiritual weapons? Prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit, faith in the Word of God. He's given us tools, guys. Let's use them. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's be, read verses 1 through 6. Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Here it is. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. My friends, there is a real battle. There's a real battle in our world. Two things. One, for the truth of the gospel. For the plain and simple, straightforward truth of the gospel. That God reconciling sinful man to himself through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God is based on grace. It's not based on legalism. There were false teachers at Corinth. And, 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 and you're gonna, what you're going to see, let, let's pray and then we'll get into it. I'm already starting to preach. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we get into it now, Lord, um, just open our hearts, guide us and direct us, Lord. And let this be a, mor a morning of being equipped. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Okay, we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 through chapter 9, Paul is addressing the church, the body of believers who are committed to Christ. They are repentant, they've changed their hearts, and, and they're, he's focused on them in chapters 1 through 9. Well, in chapter 10, if you look at the very first word of chapter 10, verse 1, he says, now I, Paul. He's shifting subjects. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, he is addressing the false teachers that, are, that have infiltrated Corinth. And the, the false teachers are, are undermining Paul. They are attacking his character. They are attacking his message. And now he is speaking to them and to the believers at Corinth that are possibly being influenced 
by the false teachers. So let's take a look at it. But as I was saying a while ago, there's a real battle. There's a real battle going on in our world. One, for the truth of the gospel, and two, for the hearts and lives of people. Let me tell you right now, there is a battle going on for your mind in this world. There is a battle taking place for your children's minds. And if you don't recognize that, it can, it can derail you. It can derail your children. But we got to realize that there is a real fight. Okay, let's look at it. Chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now he's going to go into the spiritual warfare. But before we dive into the meat of the message, I want you to see a couple things in these first two verses. Before we get into the battle, I want you to see the heart of the Apostle Paul in his defense. In the throes of the war he's in, battling against these false teachers that are accusing him, I want you to see where his heart is. Because it's important in spiritual warfare that our heart be in the right place. That our heart be in the right place before the Lord. Look at, in verse 1, he says, I, Paul, myself, what does he say? Am pleading with you. He says, I am pleading with you. Now look at the beginning of verse 2 to show Paul's heart. Verse 2, he says, I beg you. What we see here in the first of two characteristics in the Apostle Paul's heart as he's encountering spiritual warfare is we see a heart of compassion. He's not bulldozing the Corinthians or the false teachers. He's saying, I am pleading with you. I beg you. Basically what he's saying is he's, he's maintaining his composure and he's saying, please come to your senses. Please come to your senses. Think rational. Think about this. Think about your decisions. They have consequences. There's a sense of urgency in the Apostle Paul's writings as he's writing to the church at Corinth. He sees people fixing to wreck their life through false teaching. And one of the things that they, they, they undermined him was, was, was the truth of grace. They, many people believe these were Judaizers. They were legalists. They were trying to add the law into grace, and Paul is not backing down, but he's doing it compassionately, saying, no, our relationship is based on grace and grace alone. We see that in Corinthians. We see his defense in Galatians, that his defense of the truth of grace, of these people undermining him. But there's a sense of urgency, and he wants to help the people. He wants to, he wants to help them, and he wants to help them understand Having a heart of compassion, as the first thing we see with the Apostle Paul, is, is this. Having a heart of compassion for 2018, for today, it means we care. It means we care about people. And it means we care about people so much that we're willing to speak up. You know what I'm saying? A compassion, we care, we love, we want the best for people, but it doesn't stop there. It's got to be verbalized if we really care and we really love. In a spirit of meekness, in a spirit of gentleness, as we're going to see that Paul's going to refer to in Christ, but it, it's, we got to speak up if we care. 
And we got to take a stand for what is truth in the scripture. And when we see our children making bad, making bad choices in a spirit of meekness and gentleness and a spirit of compassion and a, a spirit of, of urgency, we've got to make a stand and we've got to tell them and warn them and help them because we love them and we care for them. Just the same way with any friend or any believer. If we love them, if we care enough, we will say something. Love will not stay quiet. Love will not stay quiet. It has a voice, and we have to speak up. And notice what, um, in verse, uh, verse, verse 1, Paul appeals to them on what? The meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Meekness means free of anger, free of hatred, bitterness. There's no desire for revenge. It means that your heart is in the right place. It means your heart is in the right place in this spiritual battle. Whether you're defending the truth or you're battling for the souls of men and women, our heart is in the right place by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Gentleness simply means, um, it means kindness. It, it means don't be a jerk about it. And, and be gentle and be kind. You know, our heart, our heart and our goal is, is not to win the argument, but to win the soul and to win the heart of the person over to Jesus Christ, over to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only dog that we have in the fight is this. We care. We care. You know what I'm talking about with your children. We care enough to speak, to plead with them, to, to say, please don't do this. Please don't wreck your life. And we do it by the, um, this is one of the Apostle Paul uh, very few, if only, reference um, to the life of Christ. Throughout Paul's New Testament epistles, he's always referring to the glorified, exalted Lord Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father. But here, Paul is referring to the life and the ministry of Jesus when he was here on earth. So we do it like he would do it. Let's move on to um, look at verse 2. Um, first off, context. As I said a while ago, this is the false teachers are at Corinth. They're, they're accusing Paul of being weak. They're accusing Paul of being puny. They say, man, when you write your letters, man, you are bold. But when you show up, you are weak and you are puny. And you won't challenge us. That's called fake news. Look at verse 2. The second thing we see in Paul is he has a heart of courage in verse 2. He says, but I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intended to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Paul did have confidence. He says in there in verse 2, he says, I intend to be bold against some. Who is he going to be bold against? As I said a while ago, he's going to be bold against the false teachers. The false teachers, they were um, attacking his character. They were attacking his message. They were attacking his apostolic authority. And Paul knew from the road to Damascus when Christ commissioned him and saved him that he had the words of eternal life. He had the gospel. This established most of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Was God used Paul to inspire and to write these books. And this was the message of eternal life. This is why he endured shipwrecks and hard times and beatings. This is, what, this is what kept him going, is I've got the words to eternal life. 
This is what kept all the Christians going. In Romans 16.1, he sends Phoebe. Many scholars believe in Romans 16.1, he sends Phoebe, a deacon in the church, and sends her to Rome to deliver the gospel. Over a thousand miles. We see throughout the New, throughout the New Testament that people's hearts and commitment to the gospel, it was urgent. It was there, and they had courage to endure whatever they went through to get the message out. Paul has confidence here, though. Paul was a man of courage. He did not bend when it comes to truth, and neither should you and I. Neither should you and I. We should stand firm on the Word of God and stand firm for truth. Courage is when you face opposition. Courage is when you face opposition. Your, wee, your knees get weak, and you have sweaty palms, and you're nervous, but you do the right thing. You say the right thing. And that's what we have to do as believers. In a spirit of meekness, in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of love, are we courageous? Do we love people enough to speak up? I didn't say bash them over the head with a frying pan or throw them under the bus, but lovingly, kindly, gently, meekly challenge people to be that are living in sin that, that are living in rebellion. We see our children making poor decisions. Pull them in the room and talk to them. And, and don't lambast them, but lovingly challenge them and correct them as we should as parents, as we should with anybody. All right, let's look at spiritual warfare. So we see Paul's heart. Paul's heart behind the spiritual warfare. He's compassionate and he's courageous. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There are carnal weapons that human beings use, okay? But Christians don't use them. We don't want to use our carnal weapons. What are some examples of carnal weapons? Now, I'm not talking about physically fighting. I'm not talking about me and Calvin duking it out or wrestling. What I'm talking about is most, the most common carnal weapons that people use are Gossip, backbiting, human reasoning, wisdom, and plans, human plans, our own ingenuity. Those are not the weapons that God has given us. Those are carnal weapons, and we can't use those in the fight. They don't work. If anything, they, they make matters get worse. Because we, we, we have the, at least I do anyway, I have the foot-in-the-mouth syndrome where I stick my foot in my mouth by saying things I shouldn't say. And, you know, and there is no rewind button. Once some words come out, there's no, you can't reel them back in. They've done their damage. But we don't use those. It says in uh, verse 4, but our weapons, verse 4, it says they are mighty in God and pulling down strongholds. Now, he, he, he's, we know from other texts that he's looking at a soldier, possibly a Roman soldier, He's talking about our weapons, and he says, we're pulling down strongholds. I like to think that the strongholds, because they're being pulled down, where, first off, the spiritual battle is not in inanimate in objects. The spiritual battle is, with, is within people. And what is up high? Our mind. Our mind. Our mind is, is, is where the battle is. Our mind is where the battle is. And I love this passage because I love the, the warfare terminology. As a former soldier and many veterans in here, I love the warfare terminology in here. Between verses 3 and 6, 
he uses terms like war, weapons, warfare, strongholds, captivity. Don't tell me there's no battle. Don't tell me there's no battle. Paul is likely, in, in writing this letter, looking at the picture of the Roman soldiers, and he uses a, a lot of analogies and a lot of pictures that we'll see over in Ephesians. But there's a lot of warfare terminology. So there, the battle is real. The battle is real. Verse 5, he says, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Did you see a theme in those verses? Where's where's the fight? In verse 5, he says, casting down arguments um, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity. Do you see the common thread there? The common thread there in those verses is what? The mind. The battlefield is for the mind. The mind is where the war takes place. The mind is where we win the victory or we lose the victory. Because once we win the victory and we lose the victory there, it works its way into our heart. This is why I believe many Christians live a defeated life. Because they don't understand that Christianity is more than just belief. There is a spiritual battle. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess who you just became an enemy of? Satan and demonic forces. You just became an enemy. You just put a bullseye on your back. You just put a bullseye on your chest. And you have become a target. Because we live in a fallen world. Ephesians 6.12 We live in this present darkness of the world. Now, God has given us tools. God has given you tools to equip you for the battle. But, but before we move on to those tools, looking at verse 5 and verse 6, we take every argument, we take every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought, and we do what with it? We submit it to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is easier said than done. Come on. That is easier said than done. I, I wrestle with it. I wrestle with it in my daily life, in my everyday life serving the Lord. Am I going to take the things that I wrestle with in my mind, and am I going to submit them to the obedience of Christ? Let me tell you something, my friend. I don't know where you're at in your walk, but when you get to that point, watch out. This, a believer that's able to get to this point, is a disciplined believer. He is focused. He is in the zone. He is is there when you get to that point. And this is where we want to get to, where we get to a point where, man, we can control the war that takes place in our mind. We're going to see later on in Ephesians, the helmet of salvation. You know, we see all these imageries of a breastplate and the helmet. I believe they all refer to our relationship with Christ and a deep, intimate, abiding relationship with Christ. But part of that deep, intimate, abiding relationship with Christ is that as we protect our minds 
and, and we have a well-trained, disciplined mind. Now, I want to encourage you, because this ain't easy. This is where the rubber meets the road. Man, this is very challenging. This, this is a disciplined, focused life. But can we move in that direction where we start reading our Bible every day? We start spending time in prayer every day? And I like, I like to call them streamer thoughts. You ever had a streamer thought? It's like all of a sudden you're just going, la, 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 la. And then, bam, where did that thought come from? But get to a point where we can discipline our mind and stay focused. It's a challenge. But he's given us weapons. He's given us weapons in Scripture to, to fight the fight and to protect our mind. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Turn in your Bibles to um, Ephesians chapter 6. And let's look at those weapons. These are two uh, parallel passages. Uh, many times they're, they're taught together. They're, they're very parallel. And they talk about the fight that we're in. But I, I got to say, though, just in context, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the spiritual warfare that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, is the spiritual warfare of the false teachers, of the false teachers, and them attacking his character, and them attacking his message. And, and, and so that spiritual warfare in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 deals with false teaching. I believe in Ephesians chapter 6, which I believe you can put them together because there's a lot of similarities. In Ephesians chapter 6, he's talking about the spiritual war that you and I are in and our obedience to Christ and, and the spiritual warfare for our, our walk with Christ. So let's check it out because there's, there's some great tools in here. I'm going to share with you this morning. Um, I'm, not, I'm not for say going to go into great detail about the helmet and the breastplate other than to say that they represent a deep, abiding, rich faith in Jesus Christ. But what I want to do this morning is I want to give you four tools I believe this passage teaches, four principles for the battle. Because as we said, we see this soldier terminology, this warfare terminology in both of these passages. So you're a soldier for Christ. Let's get equipped. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, uh, we're going to see the first principle right here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The first weapon that God has given you is this, a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. That's your first and primary tool to combat the spiritual warfare, whether it be false teachers or battles with the flesh. He says, finally, my brother, he says, be strong in the Lord. In other words, be meaty, be weighty. Be strong in your relationship with him. Be strong in your faith. Don't settle for the status quo. Let it be rich in your heart. Let it be rich in your mind. Christianity is more than a belief. It's more than just a, a doctrine or a creed. But it's a living, abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And the first principle for you to win the battle, if you're in the battle now, or for you to prepare for the future battle is a strong relationship with God. Be strong in the Lord, is what it says. Be strong in him. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, 
and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So much there. Verse 11, the first six words, what does it say? It says, put on the whole armor of God. It didn't say, hey, just go study the armor of God. It says, put it on. We got to do more than study it, okay? We got to take these words off the pages of Scripture and apply them to our lives and install these principles into our everyday life. We can't just study it. We got to use it. We got to use it. We got to do it. We got to be actively pursuing the Lord in a deep, intimate relationship with God. In verse 12, Let's go back to verse 11. He says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles. Some of your versions say the schemes. Like I said, when you become a Christian, you have a target on your back. And devil comes up with schemes. And he throws darts at your mind. And he throws darts at your family. And he's constantly pestering you. Trying to draw you away from God. Trying to tempt you with the lust of the flesh trying to tempt you to go back to your old life. He's got, he knows where he's going. He's heading to an eternity in the lake of fire. He's heading to an eternity of destruction. He is the master of destruction. And his job is to wreck people's lives and to destroy their lives. And it says, we stand against the wiles of the devil. He's like, the Bible says he roars around like a roaring, like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. I love watching National Geographic. I watch, I watch it almost every single day. And I love watching those lions and tigers go after those antelopes in Africa. I mean, they just tear them up. I mean, they just eat their lunch. I mean, those lions will take that antelope down, and that antelope will still be hollering, and they got half of his insides already eaten out. That's how they work. I mean, they just, they take them down and they take them down quick. You know, and that's what Satan, you know, we're like, like that herd. We're going along and the lion's waiting in the bush. And what's he waiting on? He's waiting on that one to wander off, to wander off and go astray. And as soon as that little guy wanders off and goes astray, bam, they got him. They got him. But The devil has schemes, but God has given us tools. Um, The battle, and again, this is so important, so important. Maybe you're you're dealing with a person. Maybe you're dealing with an individual in in, in life that you feel like a spiritual warfare with. Remember this, our battle is not against people. We love people. We love people. We care for people. We want to help people. Our battle is not with people individually. It's the spiritual forces of darkness. You know, that's why I'm so pumped about Calvary Chapel Irmo coming to Irmo. We are going to penetrate the darkness with the light, with the, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to partner with the other churches in this area to, to make a greater impact for Christ Jesus. To, to, to bring people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to let them live out and experience the joys of living for Jesus and being a Christian. And we're going to bring verse-by-verse teaching from the Bible 
chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line upon line. Next, next week, we'll pick up at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. But just bring good Bible teaching so we can build people up and let them go out and make a difference and penetrate the darkness. Amen. Amen. Uh, verse 13. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You know, that's a, something we see repeated in Scripture. Sometimes when the, when the battle's raging and the war is going, is going on in your mind, in your heart, in your family, with your children, with your loved ones, you see people wrecking their lives. You're like, what are you doing? You, as a believer, you've just got to stand and say, God, I'm going to weather the storm. I'm going to trust you with all my heart. And you're just going to stand on your faith in God. And you're going to stand on your faith in his word. There's a battle. There is a battle. And it's not won easily. It's, 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 as a matter of fact, it's, it's quite challenging. It's quite difficult. And without hard work, determination, dedication, and commitment, you may not win if you don't apply the principles of God's word and get and use what he's given you. But you can have victory. You can have victory through having faith in him. Let's look at the second weapon. The first weapon was a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 14, therefore having girded, here it is, therefore having girded your waist with truth. The second weapon, the believer's weapon, is what? The knowledge of the truth. We all know the verse, John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. 2 Corinthians 13, 8. One of the most empirical, philosophical, probably the most philosophical statement in the universe. 2 Corinthians 13, 8. Go study it. It says, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. It's empirical. But, I, but not only do we stand on the truth of who Jesus is in our faith, but I believe when he says know the truth here, he's talking about know the word of God. Know what the Bible says. Jesus said in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth is what he said. And, and we got to know the truth. The Bible and the Bible alone separates truth from error. The Bible does. This great and magnificent book that every single human being has on their shelves and in their homes are some of the greatest and mag most magnificent promises that bring us new life, that give us hope, and, we, and, and give us truth. Give us truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, uh, all scripture is breathed out and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Greek says theonuptis. It means literally the pages of Scripture is like God said, and he breathed out the pages of Scripture through the apostles, through the prophets. Man, you can stand on this word. You can trust in this word. You know what? If you're a busy, if you're a busy man and you've got a hard, difficult schedule, grab you a small Bible, stick it in your back pocket, take it to work, read it, live it, um, trust in it, because it is the truth. And as you get into a good Bible study and you study the word, when you hear error, the Holy Spirit will say, uh-uh, 
That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. You know, it, it protects us. It is a spiritual weapon that God has given us to win the victory and to protect our hearts and protect our minds. So number one, you want to win the fight? A strong relationship, a strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, you got to know the truth. you got to get into the Word. Um, verse 14, halfway through verse 14, he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, he's going to talk about these different pieces of armor, but basically what all of them boil down to is a strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate protect? It protects our heart. I cannot see the center of you right now. I cannot see the center of who you are. Because the center of who you are is your heart. It is that invisible, spiritual person on the inside. And it is the most important part of you. Your heart, your soul, your spirit, man, of who you are. It's in that heart that we believe. It's in that heart that we trust. It's in that heart that we love. Not only love God, but love our families. It's out of that heart that parents love their children. It's out of that heart that we obey our mom and dads. The heart, that thing inside of you, is the most important part of you. And my job as a pastor, and, and, and um, the Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel Irmo, is to get to your heart. To get to your heart. Because the heart is the center. Um, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you know, I just see Paul looking at that soldier, looking at that breastplate, it protecting the heart, and talking about a strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. That word shod, it just means to, to, to put on footwear, to put footwear onto your feet. You know, um, there's, in verse 15, there's um, a suggesting of a, of a readiness to go. Because our feet do what? Our feet take us places. Our feet take us places. So having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace is wherever we go, let him lead us. Wherever our feet take us in life, let's take Jesus with us. Let's take our faith with us. Let's take our strong relationship with Jesus Christ with us wherever we go in life wherever our feet may take us, wherever the Lord may lead you. This, this ain't a, this is my hometown thing. This is my life thing. This is everywhere I go. Verse 16, we're going to look at weapon number three. Weapon number three he's given you. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So you see this soldier, fiery darts are coming his way, and what protects him? A shield, a shield of faith. Well, David, come on now, you got to get a little more in depth. You got you to you explain to me, what's he talking about here? What is he talking about having faith in? It's the, it's the whole message of the gospel, having our faith in his death on the cross, on Calvary, 
our faith in his resurrection from the dead, our faith in his, his being exalted to the right hand of the Father, our faith in um, his word and his promises, our faith that he will, um, he will see us through. Faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We see on the pages of Scripture all the great and magnificent and precious promises of the word, and we take them and we apply them to our lives. And we say, you know what? I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I will defeat this sin. I will slay this dragon. I will slay this dragon. If, if there, whatever the fight is, whatever the battle is, if you're struggling with pornography and adultery and, and sexual immorality, you get to a point where you say, you know what, I'm going to win this fight in the name of Jesus. I'm going to slay this dragon. And whatever is coming into my life that's causing me to fall, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going I'm to do whatever it takes. That is faith. Faith says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I'm going to have faith in his word, and I'm going to have faith in his promises, and I'm going to trust him. And when the fiery darts come, and they will come even to those who are putting on the armor, Lord, I'm just going to stand in faith. I'm just going to stand and trust in you. I'm going to trust in your promises. I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to have faith. Faith comes from the heart towards the Lord. So weapon number three is you got to have faith. So a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, knowledge of the truth, and faith are the first three weapons. Let's look at the fourth weapon, and we'll close it up here. Verse 17, he says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. just want to stop right there. I haven't got to the weapon yet, but um, the helmet of salvation. Again, we're talking about a rich, deep, abiding faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, he talks about a helmet of salvation. We said, what does a breastplate protect? It protects the heart. What does a helmet protect? It protects our mind. You want to win the battle in your mind? Man, throw yourself into the Christian faith and trusting in Christ and throw yourself into his word and put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, there's a lot there. The sword of the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit use as a sword? The Word of God. Why should there be anything different with me and you? We use the Bible as our tool, as our weapon to have victory. We speak the Word over our life. We, we say the Word repeatedly. We remind ourselves of the Word. Yes, Pastor David will go down the road, or I'll be at home all by myself, and I will preach to myself. I'll be like, listen up, soul. We're going to do the right thing today. You know, I will preach to myself. I will rehearse sermons in my mind, not so I can make a better sermon on Sunday, but so that I can preach to myself. So I can preach, so I can, so I can preach to myself. Because the sword of the Spirit— what the Holy Spirit uses, this is important, what the Holy Spirit uses in your walk and to give you the victory is when you open the Bible and you study it. And he, the Holy Spirit takes these words and applies it to your heart and, and, and enables you 
to walk in victory. It gives you the strength to say, I'm not going to look at that today. I'm not going to go there. When I'm into the word, when I'm in the word, and the Holy Spirit gives me the victory. It's a fight. It's a fight. And I want you to win. I want you to be victorious. Verse 18, he says, uh, praying always. Here's the fourth weapon. Your fourth arsenal as a soldier. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Our fourth weapon, our fourth arsenal. The word prayer can sometimes come across as a boring sounding word. Can it not? Let's go to the prayer meeting on Friday night, you know, or let's have prayer. And it, it, it can be a word that becomes like wallpaper. You know, we hear it over and over and over again. But not so, my friend. Prayer is a powerful tool. I understand the sovereignty of God, okay? He knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows the future. But under the umbrella of God's sovereignty, he's given us this tool called prayer, where things will happen or not happen based on the the prayers of the saints. He can change things as a result and redirect people's lives as a result of prayer. Whether you're praying for your children, you're praying for your family, you're praying for your church, we gotta have prayer. And we need to be excited about prayer. And we need to shout and not, oh Lord, please bless Aunt Sarah. Oh Lord, please do this, please do this. But no, we need to be excited. There needs to be zeal in our hearts. And we call out to God in prayer. It says, um, verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. What does that say to me? It says, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Every, every, lift it up to the Lord. And then after you pray for it, keep your eyes open and see what he's going to say. See what he's going to do for the things that you're praying for. And then it says, uh, praying always with all prayer and supplication. In other words, pray for everything. He says, pray in the Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Let your heart cry be before you pray in prayer. Holy Spirit, please give me the words to speak. Holy Spirit, let my prayers be in line with your heart. Holy Spirit, help me to pray as Christ did. Help me, give me a heart to pray as you would have me to pray. Help my prayers not to be self-centered, or man-centered, but help my prayers to be God-centered. And when you find yourself in the storm, in the battle, remember, you can call out to God in your tears, in your anguish, in your pain, in your difficulty, no matter what, He hears prayer. God answers prayer. Amen? God answers prayer. And we need to remember that and not just make it a, a formality. Okay, well, we prayed. No, let's pray, let's seek the Lord, and let's see what He does. But we got to pray. So there, my friend, are the four weapons of a, for a believer. A strong relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing the truth of the Scripture, the Word of God, and faith and prayer. And you know what I like about all four of these? They grow. 
they grow. And as you develop these in your walk with Christ, you will grow, myself, you will grow spiritually also. These things, they, they, sound, they sound very simple, and they, re- they look really cool up on the board with these soldiers, army soldiers in the background, and this white background. It looks really cool and all that. But you know what, though? It's not easy to do. These principles of a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, knowledge of the truth, faith, and prayer, they can be very difficult and very challenging. But I want to challenge you this morning, man. Man, throw yourselves, throw yourselves at the mercy of the Lord and, and let this be your heart cry and let your walk grow so that when you face that battle, you won't be like that antelope all opened up. <laughs> Or that dear olive not being eaten, but you'll be victorious. Amen? Amen? Amen. As I said, you know, go back and you look at verse 11. It says, look at what he says. It's imperative. He says, put on the whole armor of God. We can't just study it. We got to do it. This, my friend, is the journey that we're on. This is, this is a believer that is um, disciplined, that is uh, fit for duty. And that will make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for what we've seen in your word today. And God, I just pray that you'll let these truths sink deep. Lord, that as your people go out to lunch and rest on this Sunday afternoon and go about their life, I pray, God, that you'll just remind them of these spiritual truths and equip them father in your holy and precious name i pray amen